This episode is brought to you by Harry's. Harry sent me a razor starter kit recently to try, and I put it to use very quickly because I keep myself clean shaven. In fact, I pretty much shave every single day because I have lots of facial hair. It grows back very quickly, and it's also really thick, and it hurts a lot when I shave normally, with a bad razor at least. So I've been using Harry's razors for like a week now. They're very nice. It's a five-blade razor, and I have to say, it really does effortlessly shave through my normally very annoying facial hair. It doesn't hurt one bit, no tugging, anything like that. And it stayed sharp the entire time as well. I'm very impressed so far. It also has kind of a good weight to it. It's like heavier than normal. I don't know. It's like, it's just got a good weight to it. I really like that. I didn't know I liked it before, but now I know I like it. I also really liked the shaving cream just because it smells really good. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by questionable shaving products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. Harry's has a customizable delivery option for scheduled refills as low as $2, half of what you pay from other big brands. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com otherworld. That's harrys.com slash otherworld for a $3 trial set. I have always wished that my Spanish was better. Living in Southern California and going to Mexico a lot for surfing, weekend trips, stuff like that. It's just very handy. I took three years of it in high school, but I really didn't learn that much from the books. I basically only got really good at asking various types of people where the library is located, which turns out to be not a phrase you use that often when you're on vacation. Rosetta Stone is a much more organic and easy way to learn a new language because it really immerses you in that language. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop, and also it has an app. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Like I said, it's fast language acquisition because it really immerses you in the language. There's no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. They also have speech recognition features like True Accent, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's also an amazing value. They offer a lifetime membership, which includes all 25 languages, which is perfect for any and all trips you might have in your future with various languages you might want to learn. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Otherworld listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com otherworld today. Welcome to Otherworld. I'm your host, Jack Wagner. Today's episode is going to feature two stories. And I'm going to be getting into territory that I'm normally very hesitant to feature. Stories from when people were little kids. Now, like I said, I typically avoid stories that happened to a person when they were really young. And that's for a lot of reasons. I think if you've ever talked to a little kid for more than 10 seconds, you know why. They aren't exactly reliable narrators. But occasionally, I'll hear something that happened to a person as a kid that really stands out. And in fact, there are a lot of people who think that kids are more open to and capable of experiencing things that adults can't. And I think most parents have at least one weird anecdote of their kid saying something a little eerie or an imaginary friend that seems a little too real or their kid talking about somebody standing in the corner and the description sounds a little too vivid to be them just making it up. There's a lot of that. So, today on Other World, I'm making an exception. I have two stories that involve childhood. And they're both nice stories. I think every once in a while, we need to break from the scary stuff on this podcast. Because after all, if you believe there's bad stuff out there that we don't understand, surely there must also be good. And in my opinion, there's a lot more of the good than there is the bad. So let's get started. This is episode 12. The title is Caretakers, and you're listening to Otherworld. Hello? Bobby? Yes, I'm here. We're still, you still Yeah, let us, let us know when you're ready. Okay, okay. Um... Stop on the Pacific Ocean. 
All right, so I feel like this first story can use a little context. This is one of these stories that when I got the email, I really wasn't sure if it was something that I would never have on the podcast or if I want to immediately record it. It was just weird. It was just so weird. And I still think it's so weird. It's like nothing that I've ever heard. And those types of things get me very excited. This email came from twins named Seth and Kendra. And they're both adults now, around my age. But this is about something that they could do as kids. I don't know a smoother way to say this. They told me that until they were about five, they were both able to float down their stairs. They didn't realize that either could do this until they were adults. But separately, both of them, when they would go down the stairs, if they didn't want to walk, they could choose to kind of jump up and float down the stairs. This was just part of their reality until they moved into a new house and could no longer do it. And they never told each other about it until they are adults. They just thought this was some weird, crazy memory. But in their reality, this was the power they had until they are about six years old. And I did not know what to make of this. But these aren't lunatics. These are normal people. In fact, Seth is a lawyer. I believe he works for the Supreme Court of Kentucky. This is a lawyer. These are serious people. She's a high school teacher. To this day, they insist that they could do this. So I had to hear about it, and it turned out to be a very interesting story. You can make of it however you'd like, but I'm going to let Seth and Kendra tell it to you themselves. Um, my name is Seth, Seth Stevens. Um, this is my twin sister, Kendra. Yep, that's me. And we were born in Shelbyville, Kentucky. Right now, how close are we to Shelbyville? Well, we're in Shelby County. So like five minutes from our childhood home is where, is where we're currently at, so. Okay. So this story happened like within like Within a couple miles of where we're currently at. I pass it on the way to the grocery store. Like, I see it all the time, so. Okay, what? We're, like, Louisville-ish area. Okay, yeah, but okay, like yeah. for people who don't know where To Sh- clarify for the listeners, we're from um, the east end of Louisville, Kentucky, um, Oldham County, and we were born there because my dad had to split a job between Lexington and Um, his family out in Oldham County on the east side of Louisville. And so Lawrenceburg and Shelbyville was was a great way to split the distance. So Kendra and I were born to some, this is like in the most like positive, like complimentary light, but they're like Gen X, like hippies. Yeah. They're like Grateful Dead, Dave Matthews Band, like- Red Hot Chili Peppers. Stands, like the the whole nine. Yeah. So how old are we, do you think? My guess is four-ish. I think it was four-two. Four-ish yeah. is for sure that time span. And I don't even know. I'm going to let you take the, like, hold, like, start the story. Because I just, I don't know where to okay, start. Okay, well, here's so here's something that could know. validate that theory. Um, when you moved into the new house, when we moved into the new house, where my dad currently lives, where I have lived as a suffering um, law student, <laughs> um... What did you do when you got to the new house? This is the one thing we talked about before we hopped on this call. Yeah, so I guess, like, to start, the the experience was that in our childhood home, Seth and I separately, we would— this sounds so bizarre, like, saying it, because it just sounds dumb, but I guess when you're four, it's not really dumb. But we would, like, jump at the top of the stairs and somehow land at the bottom— like float to the bottom. And it was just like the most bizarre thing. And I never even thought twice about it because it's just what could happen. Like at some point I was like, I must have like superpowers or something. And we never really brought it up until we were like, like literally like in our twenties. And when we both discovered that we both experienced it, cause like I never, I thought I was crazy. Cause then we got to our new house, which is what he was just talking about. And I get to our new house and I like jump at the top of our staircase. I'm like, cool, my superpowers, right? And it didn't work. And I was like, 
this isn't right because I could do this a year ago, like in my old house all the time. It was bizarre. Wait, wait. You're saying that when you were kids in one house, you an accepted part of your reality is that you could jump from the top of the stairs and float down to the bottom slowly? Yes. Like, can you? It was kind of like you were like just picked up. And then just like move, like someone else was walking me down the stairs, but my feet never touched the stairs. But would like you do this often? Would you like, feeling. was it like a, well, something my, fun? Our rooms were upstairs. So like every time we went downstairs, that's how I went downstairs. That's how you went down the stairs is you would like, how? I don't know. I like seriously can't even process. Because as a kid, you just think it's some cool thing you can do, I guess, because you don't know what other people do at their homes. Like, I was four. I didn't have, like, I wasn't going to friends' houses. But then, like, I wouldn't, it wasn't every time. But if I was like, oh, I want to float today, (laughs) which, again, sounds really odd, but it's like I would just jump. And sometimes it would take a couple times. But then I would just, like, it was like this floating feeling down the stairs. How fast would you move? Like, not very. Like, like at the normal pace of stair-stepping, if that makes sense. Like, it wasn't like I was, like, jumping and, like, zooming down. Like, it was just like you, you mm-hmm. were being, like, carried mm-hmm. almost. Seth, you did this, too, separately? This story, I have not even talked about that often. I've really, I've really only mentioned it in passing. And... Now that I'm like now that Kendra is describing it, I don't really remember like like being like held like a baby taken down the stairs. We didn't know that each other could do it until like literally a couple years ago. Like we didn't know that the other person was experiencing that until a couple years ago. And I had brought it up. It was like it literally, I think, like a Christmas family Christmas gathering that I had like mentioned it and it was like suddenly like, wait a second, you had that same feeling i just like i have a couple of very vivid memories of and it's not like jumping down the stairs it's not like jumping up and like levitating and right it's not like we were at the same level the whole time it was like you were moving like you would be going down the stairs your feet just didn't touch the stairs at least for me it was like it's like have you played like pokemon emerald or like any of the Pokemon games where you can use Waterfall. And, like, this Pokemon just, like, carries you right up. I don't have that um, same visual, but... Very specific reference. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm I like, got nothing on I'm that one. I'm so but... deep. Would you just jump up, but you wouldn't jump down the stairs? Like, it wasn't like a trust fall. It's, right, because I'm it's sure... It's like a floating. If Kendrick- that would have happened, I would have just gone tumbling down the stairs at the new place. Um, and that never happened. So it was just a straight up, just straight up. I, I like it just, yeah. Like that's You're just what it down. was. Like yeah. I can't, yeah. and that's, again, it wasn't the every single time going down the stairs, but it was like, if I was just like, nobody else was around, I was like, okay, here I go. Like whatever. It was very gentle, I think is a good way to like put the feeling. Yeah. It was never aggressive. For me, it was like, again, it was like that. It was like being like cared for. Like there was like a feeling with it too of just like, I can just put my trust in this and like I will be, you know, taken down. My memory is that I'm not sure if I can get down the stairs. And Kind of the nature of my sister and I is my sister is the headstrong, um, affirmative, um, plan like type A, well organized person, and Thanks. I can, <laughs> yeah, no, you're like wonderful. I am, I can be organized, but I'm more go with the flow, more laid back, and so I don't know if I was like afraid of going down the stairs or what, but I remember going down the stairs as, like, I can't get down. And so I'm up there. I don't usually go up the stairs either because I'm, I'm living on the normal floor, the base floor, um, in this room that's pretty close to my parents' room. So I would go up there if there was, like, a toy up there or, like, 
Kendra and I were playing something or there was a babysitter over and we were doing like fashion show. <laughs> um, so yeah, there were more irregular events, but I would like find myself up there. And my memory is that like, I didn't know how to go downstairs and like I needed help going downstairs. And then like, I would be delivered to the bottom of the stairs safely. And like when it was happening, I was like, I had full trust that I was going to be taken care of and everything was going to be okay. I would get to the bottom of the stairs and I could, you know, keep playing or whatever it was. You played this, but then you moved to a new house and like this didn't work anymore? Yeah, like it was... And the house that we had moved to was the house that we ended up being in for the majority of our upbringing. In those first, like, two-ish years, I was like, why is this not working anymore? And eventually, I just, like, gave up on it because it didn't matter anymore. I was like, it's not going to work. But there was, like, never that experience ever again after we moved out of our childhood home. What did you guys do with this memory until you talked about it? (laughs) I kept it to myself. I... For one, it was just one of those things where it was like, well, it never happened again. So maybe it was just something that I could do as a kid and now I can't anymore. Like for some reason, logically in my brain, that made sense for a while. And then I just kind of like pushed it back to the back of my brain for a long time. And then I guess we got onto the topic of paranormal things. And then that's when I like thought about it again. It was some sort of family event and I am... I don't know which one of us brought it up first, but it was like this moment of like, no way. Like, is this actually something you experienced also? Because then suddenly it was very real. I don't know. It was like a thing that I had brought up in, like when it's like 1 a.m. at a sleepover. It wasn't taken that seriously. And like, I don't know. I don't even know if I was taking that, that seriously. And at a point in high school, I became like, you know, atheist and, and then I'm like taking college classes where it's like, well, memory is really, you know, fallible and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, maybe this was just a trick of memory. And then we talked about it. And still right now, I'm still processing that you've had these experiences. Like it's wild to me. It's, it's like, a cognitive dissonance for me to even think about. And the only time we've talked about it is with our family around. So it never got into like that deep of a conversation. Like I'm still learning things about it and how he experienced it right now as well. Like I, there were, it was a very, I don't want to say like quick conversation because it's a weird thing to just like talk about for 30 seconds and then like leave off of. But it was a very broad thing that like everybody else suddenly had input on. So it turned into more of like a family conversation as opposed to just us two like, kind of like hashing it out about what the heck we think happened like it or like what what theories we have on who it could have been because the only person we do have is yeah i don't have a visual the only thing i have is the picture of him but the picture of him like resonates with me very deeply okay this is where seth and kendra's story takes a bit of a turn they are convinced that they were carried down the stairs by the spirit of a gay man named Jeff, who was best friends with their mom before they were born. He was a competitive hairstylist in Kentucky, and tragically, he died of AIDS shortly before these two were born. I don't know what to make of this entire thing, but I have to say that I do like Jeff. I like the idea of Jeff, and there's just something about him and the way they talk about him. I can't imagine it was an easy life being a gay man at that time in Kentucky, of all places, and especially during the AIDS epidemic. I just like the idea of Jeff being a part of this story. And they're going to reference these later, but I've seen pictures of him. And I do have to say he has absolutely perfect hair. It's truly impressive, this hair. Um, He's a very handsome man, and he looks super nice. I just... I can't help it. I like this aspect of the story. So let's go back in. I'm going to let them take it from here. So my mom was always into cosmetology. She did cosmetology school the whole nine. And she like did hair modeling shows for this guy named Jeff. He would do his hairstyles. He would color her hair. 
do the updos, all the things, and she would do the hair modeling shows for him. Jeff was gay, and Jeff was the best, and he was unfortunately diagnosed with AIDS, like, pretty young, I think in his, like, 40s or early 50s, mm-hmm. um, while he was my mom's, like, mentor, essentially, and um, unfortunately, he had passed, and it was right around the time that we were born. I don't know what year, mostly because we never actually knew him. Like, I never, I don't have any memories of, like, actually meeting him and knowing him, Um but my mom just suddenly jumped into the, or our mom, I should say, but suddenly jumped into the whole, oh my gosh, it must be Jeff because he was so protective over me whenever I was pregnant and so protective of you guys, um, like knowing that you all were going to be my children. And he always made sure that she was like taken care of in school whenever she was pregnant. Like there's pictures of her doing his shows while pregnant with us or of her doing, yeah, his shows while pregnant with us. She, she told me all about Jeff and... um how they would do like these shows where they were winning awards and my our dad our dad was like cheering them on and it was like, like a modeling show but for hair like it was like a runway but hair basically is the whole ordeal and then she would end up when she was like super pregnant was like sitting in chairs instead and showing off the modeling the hairstyles very like comforting and wanted her to just be as safe and, like, healthy as possible at all times so that everything would be okay with us as well. And so she obviously jumped into, like, the immediate theory that, like, it had to be Jeff because new house, who else could it be? No one else had passed away during that time that we knew that would care that much about us. You weren't, like, looking up at the figure, were you? No, I never saw anything. See, yeah, me neither. But I was pretty much looking at the bottom of the stairs like, I need to get there. <laughs> I was like, I need to somehow find my way down there, and I'm going to do this thing again to get there. And we have, like, four-year-old brain. So, like, yeah, right. you know, we're just four-year-olds. But, like, <laughs> just- I have a very intense feeling that, and whenever I think about this or, like, feel this, all it is in my mind is just a picture of of Jeff. Do you know the picture I'm talking about? The black and white one? Yeah. Yeah. That's just who carried me down the stairs. Like, Why do you think that? It's like, it's not even a thinking. It's just like a knowing. It's like deep down, like in my chest. And it was one of those things when she was like, well, you know, Jeff. And immediately I was like, yeah, that sounds right. I knew it was Jeff before that conversation. Yes. Like, no, I knew it was Jeff the whole time. But like. And when I saw and was able to comprehend pictures of him, like, later down the road, because she had these big photo albums full of all these photos from the shows and things, like, I would see that picture and be like, wait, I know him, but I don't know why, because I never saw something. But it was like a, I hate to use the word energy, because people are like, that's stupid. But, like, it was like this, it, like, clicked. It's the only picture that I remember from being a child. Is this man's photograph. Where was it? It was on my mom's bedside table. Yeah, she had like an 8 by 11 of this black and white photo of him mm-hmm. at a at a show, of course. Like just a headshot of this guy with beautiful hair, of mm-hmm. course. Oh my God. And like the most beautiful hair, 8 by 11, like just black picture frame from Walmart style on her bedside table. And Seth, you had some kind of mental connection to this picture. Like as a kid, you feel like you thought or you knew this individual was carrying you down yeah sorry this like must be strange but that was who took me down the stairs like yeah i mean it just it just is and the thing is like i had that conviction before like i had ever before before i'd ever (laughs) talk yeah before i'd ever talked to kendra i didn't talk to mom about this um yeah i don't know because we were just playing like right like it never seemed wrong I was one to, like, tattletale. Like, I was one who went and told if something happened. Like, I was like, no, like, we're not doing this because we're going to get in trouble kind of person. And so for me to, like, not go and take what was happening is something's wrong, something's not going on here that's good. And to, like, take it to them was, like, I feel like saying something about me as a kid. Still Um, that kind of person. Yeah, I sure am. And uh, (laughs) that's why I teach high schoolers, I guess. I'm not even sure how we would close this one off, but I'm going to ask you guys... For all the people that are listening to this that are just thinking right now, like, okay, these are two f- four-year-olds that 
imagined something and mm. are now like convincing each other that it was real. What would you say to that? And like, how is what you experienced different than the type of thing you would imagine as a kid? I think the biggest thing for me was that like, I was like six or seven trying to do it at the new place. Like I was like, it was a within the next like year or two. And I feel like five, six, seven memories are a lot more clear than three, four memories. Like I just, your brain is developing so much in that time period. And so like knowing that I tried it at the new place when I was five, six, seven is a lot bigger of a deal than trying something somewhere at the age of three, four. And so while it sounds crazy, we also didn't talk about it from like four until like 20. And so like 2021. And so we weren't like trying to convince each other of something that happened for 13 years and then had made ourselves believe that it was happening. It was, I've had this individual memory since I was four to six and I've just sat on it for so long and not really told anybody about it because like they, who's going to believe that? Like I, no one believes even stuff that like makes sense, like haunted hospitals and stuff. People don't believe that. Why would they believe my story about me being four in a house? So there's no need to talk about it. Like you were doing it enough that you got accustomed to it as something you could do. And then you continued to try like almost like swimming, like jumping into a pool. Yeah, yes. Whereas like, whereas like a a kid with a wild imagination might think that they could fly, but they don't try to fly because they had a dream about flying. Exactly. That's a great analogy. And I might have to throw that at my fiance whenever he comes home. Yeah, I guess for me, so to contrast with my sister's account, um... I'm just not like it's weird because I still don't like believe in spirits, except for like. Well, and it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just does not come. It's saturated. I mean, it's like it it is. Well, just what I mean is like. But people could say the same thing about this too, and they're like, "Yeah, saturated." Like, so are you. You know, like it's just one of those things where it's gonna be hard. You can't prove it because it's not something tangible well okay for me it's but like, for me it's so real like i don't know how else to explain it for me it's like i don't believe in things outside of my paradigm like i know the things that i know the things that i like agree with and yeah i don't know why this is so like deeply rooted within me i don't know why it's a flashbulb memory I don't even have that many flashbulb memories, but I do remember jumping down the stairs and this man carrying me down the stairs, floating down the stairs. Floating is key because levitating is not the right word. Like that's a big difference. And I know they sound almost the same, but it was like the floating down, like with the stairs, not going straight across and then like dropping like it was just like gentle so for me it's the only thing that can convince me is that the feeling is still there i don't even know why it's still there but it is so like the moment i don't believe it is the moment that like i just don't believe anything that happened in my childhood because then it's just like then everything i've ever thought about my childhood just isn't legit yeah. Not and I work are. I work for the Kentucky Supreme Court and you can like bleep that or whatever if you need to. But like <laughs> I don't believe in shit like this. Like You're this very, is not my very thing. logical yeah. brain human. Yeah, yeah, I have logic brain. Um so it's weird. He struggles to believe other people's stories, but hey, here's my story and it's real, so believe yeah. it. Like Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Seth and Kendra for telling us that story. That is a weird one. I still don't know what to make of it myself, but I find it so interesting that this is just how they grew up. These are people who go through life knowing and believing that they could flow down the stairs as kids. That's very interesting. Now look, I'm sure everybody has their own opinion and reaction to that story. Um, I'm sure everybody's thinking very different things right now, but I think the one thing that everybody could probably agree on is that 
if Jeff can hear this right now, I think he would be very happy to know that we're all still talking about him and people are still talking about how great his hair was and how great he was at styling other people's hair because it sounds like he enjoyed being in the spotlight. So I want to say rest in peace to Jeff and thank you to Seth and Kendra for sending us those stories. If you want to see a picture of Seth's hair, they did send me a couple pictures and I'm going to put it on the Otherworld Instagram. Okay, that brings us to the second story in this episode. This comes from a person named Ray and it's a very sweet story. It's one that resonates with me a lot. When Ray was a little kid, they were raised quite a bit by their grandparents. And I was as well. Um, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house when I was a really little kid. And there's not much I remember from being a kid, but I will say that there are some memories that stick out in photographic detail to me. Photographic detail. And a lot of them take place with my grandparents when I was very, very young. It's strange how that works. I can't remember what I had for lunch a couple days ago. I can't remember what I did on my eighth birthday, but there are some moments with my grandparents when I was a really little kid that I could remember in perfect detail. Sometimes just a random morning. For me, my grandpa would wake me up at five in the morning for some reason and take me to McDonald's where him and his friends would chew tobacco and drink coffee. And I would sit there as a little kid and watch them and I remember those in vivid detail. If you dropped me in my grandparents' house right now with a blindfold on, I haven't been there in years, but I guarantee you I could navigate it perfectly, completely blind, and point out where everything is. There's just some things that stick with you. And the story you're about to hear is one of those moments for the storyteller. And I know how important it was having my grandparents involved in raising me when I was a really little kid. It's the same with Ray. That's why I like this story, and I think you guys are going to all like it too. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Folks, springtime is here, and it might be time to clean out the closet and finally update your wardrobe. Quince has you covered with timeless pieces that never got a style, You'll have them in your closet forever. Quince has all the essentials for men and women, and everything is made from high-quality materials, which is very important to me. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes savings on to us. And like I mentioned, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I recently went on a little shopping spree myself. I got a chore jacket, a Mongolian cashmere cardigan, and a quilted jacket. Basically stuff that I could just throw on top of the normal old t-shirts that I wear every day to make myself look a lot more presentable and fashionable when I need to. I also got some new sheets for our bed. They have so many to choose from. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash otherworld for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash otherworld to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash otherworld. Hey, Otherworld listeners. I'm excited to tell you about a show that I love and I think you're going to love as well. It's called Sophia with an F, starring Sophia Franklin. This show is about as different from Otherworld as a show could possibly be, which is why I think many people were very, very shocked when I got invited on as a guest around Halloween. It was really the crossover that nobody expected. I'll never forget the day my episode came out and every single one of my college-age cousins texted me all at the same time. Very confused, but also very excited. It was nice to hear from all of them, though, and... uh finally get some respect. I had a great time on the show. Sophia is really down to earth, which is why I think her interviews are so good. We talked about Otherworld, the paranormal, getting into this whole thing unexpectedly, as I did, and a lot of other stuff that I think normally does not get discussed on Sophia with an F. Normally in the show, Sophia Franklin goes deep on sex, life, mental health, relationships, and everything in between. You could get Sophia all to yourself every Monday for solo mini episodes and every Thursday with her ride or die best friends, experts, and some famous guests on a host of other topics, topics that are not safe for the dinner table, from foursomes and sugar daddies 
to wild sexcapades and tips for keeping things fresh in the bedroom. It's raw and laugh out loud funny, no borders and no filters. My personal favorite is the episode with Waka Flocka Flame, if you want somewhere to start. Listen to and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm going to let Ray tell the story. I hope you enjoy it. So I grew up in this suburb called Chictawaga outside of Buffalo. Um, my parents were medical workers. My dad was a paramedic and a helivac paramedic, and my mother was a respiratory therapist at the Children's Hospital. And when I was born, well into, like, my early childhood, they had really conflicting schedules, like, they would get pulled nights and days, and it was kind of hard for them to be around consistently to, like, you know, raise, like, a baby. So I spent a lot of time with my mom's mom, my Grammy. And my Grammy lived, like, maybe 10 minutes away from our house in, like, this little seniors-only trailer park. And my Grammy and my papa lived together. My papa's name was Bill. And I would stay at their house for a few days at a time. I had my own room there. My papa taught me uh, a lot of like arts and crafts stuff. Like we spent a lot of time together. I have a lot of really fond memories of him too. It's like I'm very lucky that he um, passed away not, you know, super young. So I remember when he started to like not show up as much and um, eventually, I didn't know this at the time, but he, w he ended up in like a hospice care. And I, I visited him a few times there. But, you know, I went for about, like, a few months with him just not being around. And then I remember this time one night, I woke up normally. I always, like, woke up throughout the night. And I walked down the hallway in my house. And at the end of the hallway is this chair. And I saw the back of what looked like my papa's head peeking out from over the chair. And it's, like... I don't know what time it is, I'm like six. I didn't look at the time, but I went around and there he was sitting in the chair, big smile on his face and his thick, like corked aviator, like glasses he had to wear. And he patted the seat next to him and I wiggled up and he was there like firm. Like I was in my papa's lap, I was touching him, you know, he had his arm around me. My papa just starts talking to me and he's telling me that everything's gonna be okay and that things, you know, are gonna feel a little weird, but then, you, you know, I'll be okay, I'll be watched over. And he used a lot of wills and wheeze, so. Um, and then I remember looking up in the corner of the room where the couch kind of was set up and there were these two guys there, and I had never seen them before. I've met some of my Grammy and my papa's friends up until that point. I don't have strong memories of them, but I remember looking at these guys and knowing that like I had not, they seemed familiar, but not familiar enough to remember. They were both about the same height. Uh, they looked a little shorter than my papa. I think my papa was closer to like six foot, and they seemed closer to like a, you know, like a few inches shorter sitting down. Um, and one of the men had like this familiar face shape. It's like rounder with like a big nose, dark brown, small eyes, and like slicked back, like black hair. And he seemed, a, you know, younger, like in his 50s maybe. And then the man next to him had like gray hair, kind of curled at the top. He was a little heavier set, a little tanner than the guy next to him. Um, he was just like wearing like, a, I don't know, they were both dressed like my grandpa. They were both like in, I think like button downs and just slacks. Like they looked like every old man I ever met at a nursing home or at my Grammy's like bingo uh, nights. And I saw these guys and I knew I registered they were there and like thinking back, it's really weird. I didn't have like a knee jerk reaction. I think I was a little thrown off, but I wasn't scared. Like I talk about this, like I told my sister about this and she asked me like, why didn't I tell mom? Why didn't I tell dad? Like why, 
did I say anything? And I was like, I don't know. Like, it felt normal. It felt familiar. I felt, like, safe. I didn't feel like I needed to question why they were there. And I, I truly can't explain, like, why. Because in any other circumstance, I'd be like, what, the, what, what is going on? Like, yeah. It, it, it's, like, weird to talk about, and it's, like, hard to describe. Just everything felt very still and, like, very direct, and, like, I was very focused on what my papa was saying, even though there were there was these two random men I have never met in, like, my living room. I, like, also remember seeing, like, what, like, they had, like, uh, they had moved their hands at one point, and one of them had, like, a wedding band that I thought was weird because, like, my parents had gold ones and he had a silver one. Um, and I used to play with my mom's jewelry a lot and like she had a lot of gold jewelry and I always liked my Grammy's silver wedding band. So I like remember picking that up too. So I'm just like looking at my papa who hasn't been in my house for a while and I remember just like maybe through being tired as well just felt like comfort and it felt nice and I didn't really question anything. And then I, I remember he picked me up as he did when I would get sleepy in his lap and he brought me to my bedroom and tucked me in and he kind of patted my head before he left and as he was leaving my room I remember seeing the men in the hallway who were on the couch and I just went to bed like normal and I woke up the next day and my mom called me into the kitchen and she had to explain to me that my papa had passed away at the nursing home the night before in his sleep. Um, we, she told us she figured it was coming and that he's in a better place. We're raised very Catholic. So, she, you know, I, I had an idea about heaven and hell and she was like, papa's up with the angels or whatever you say to a six-year-old when they start their grieving process. And I don't know why I didn't tell her that I had saw my papa the night before. It didn't feel like a dream. I had had dreams at that, like I have memories of this man and I have memories from being a kid and getting frightened. And I didn't feel frightened and it felt very, very real. Um, I, I think maybe I didn't want to make my mom or my Grammy sad because like their dad died, but you know, I, I just didn't say anything. Um, and it wasn't that, like, me and my parents were close. I just, like, didn't see him as much. I think I just didn't tell them because I wasn't used to telling them stuff like that. And I also, like, they were sad and crying, and I didn't want to be like, I saw saw them because I, I had learned in church they had taught us about grieving and, like, letting people, you know, feel what they're feeling. So I didn't want to, like, intrude, I guess. And then nothing really happened with that. Until like a few years later, I'm probably like nine or 10. Um, I remember getting this project for school. We were, we were reading a book about like a family on the prairie. I think the book series might've been called like Sarah Plain and Tall or something. But I remember it was like for reading and like social studies, they're like, you're gonna do like a historical part and then you're gonna do like a genealogy part about like your ancestors or your grandparents or your family tree or some shit like that. And, um, you know, they stay encouraged. I remember I was really into like history at that point. I was becoming like a budding little nerd in that regard, I guess. But uh, I really wanted to like have a great like display. I wanted pictures, I remember. So I, I went to my mom and my Grammy and I was supposed to interview like both any grandparents that were alive. So I started asking them questions like, oh, and can you tell me about Papa? Like, Grammy, when did you and Papa meet? Um, you know, mom's dad. And when I said mom's dad, they went, oh, yeah. Uh, we, I guess, haven't, we haven't told you because we, you know, he died and then we kind of moved on. And I remember my mom being like, Papa isn't my father. And that was like the first time I'd ever known that. And I, you know, I always called him Papa. I didn't call him your dad to my mother ever. It was just like, this is your grandfather. You call him Papa. That's how you address him. And I never really asked questions after he died because, I don't know, if I cried like a few times, but I, I guess I was too young to like really heavily grieve or remember stuff. But um, I remember my mom telling me that and then she went into her bedroom and pulled out this like, 
red family photo album I had never seen. And she was like flipping through it. And it was all these black and white photos. And she was telling me, and my Grammy was pointing out people in our family in it. And then she gets to this one and it's of my mom as a baby on the couch with her real dad, her biological dad, my grandfather, Raymond. And he's like laying across the couch with her on his lap. And I remember like looking at his face and like getting a little shaky and like kind of feeling not sick, but like something was like really weird. And I like looked in his eyes and I was like, I've seen this guy before. And it's even to the point where my mom, like, she was explaining to me her dad and she looks over and she was like, why do you, like, you look kind of pale. And I'm like, I, I don't know. He looks very familiar. And he had these, like, tiny, dark eyes, this slicked back black hair. Um, he was, like, a little shorter and stockier. He was, like, wearing a white T-shirt. And he looked like he had my mom's face, like... They had a similar face shape. They had the same nose. My, you know, my family being from uh, Chictawaga, New York, we're all, they're 100% Polish. Like, they all have the same noses and faces. So I see this, and I feel all these things, and I can't remember quite why I remember him. And then I started to, like, really sit and think, and all I could come back to was, like, the guys on the couch. Like, it was the first time I had thought about them in years, so I think it took me a second to remember. But I remember the one guy on the couch, tiny, dark eyes, and he had the face shape that I, like, just couldn't quite pinpoint. But now being older, I realized, like, that man had, like, my mom's face shape. And I, like, confirmed, like, that was my grandfather, Ray. He died um, suddenly of a heart attack at 49 in the 80s. Um, when my mom was in her 20s. Um, and, you know, it was really hard for them. Uh, my mom was really sick growing up, and she was really close with her dad. My Grammy, it was very much uh, a, a private lady, and I guess didn't really like crying or expressing emotions in front of people, so she never talked about him either. Um, so that was the first time I'd ever seen a photo of him and, like, I knew, I, like, knew that it was the same guy from the couch. And then that started making me think, like, well, who's the other guy from the couch? Um, to which I remember asking then, like, my dad the next day for the same project, like, can I, do you have any photos of your dad? Like, I've never seen a photo of your dad before. And my dad's dad died in the 90s uh, after suffering from lymphoma for a really long time. So my dad never really talked about him and didn't have any photos of him around because it was really painful. He's like the oldest of five kids, so kind of kept that to himself. And he pulled out this photo from my grandfather's, like, final birthday with the family. And it's all my aunts and uncles and my dad and my grandma and my grandfather sitting down. And it's this, like, shorter man, a bit heavier set. He has this, like, grayish like thinning hair with some brown in it. And he has like the same eyes as my dad. And I really, really like took a hard look, felt the same way. Like I went hot and then cold and I got like some goosebumps on the back of my neck. And I got like, I remember like getting a little weepy, like my eyes watered. And it just felt like I knew that that was like the other guy in the room. Um, and you know, I kind of like, my parents could tell I was off. And I, I think that I told them that it was just really sad that I didn't get to meet them. I didn't know why I, don't, I didn't tell them about the dream then. I think, too, it was just like very overwhelming. And I was confused and like wanted to be sure. But then um, eventually, I remember telling my mom in college about the dream. And I felt the same way I felt every time where my stomach kind of churns and I, like, get a little weepy. Like, even now I'm, like, I don't know. I talked about it with her over the week I saw her, um, and I told her that you had reached out for this. And, I like, we both were crying talking about it. Um, 
But yeah, I, I remember telling my mom in college and she just looks at me and she's like, well, that's probably your guardian angels. Your grandfathers are probably all watching you or some like church stuff that we say. But yeah, I, uh, I guess too, I don't know. I, I keep going back to it and I, I've talked to like my sister about it and asked her if she ever experienced anything. And then I, I found out last week, my cousin Anna who's 20, I'm 25, so there's like a bigger age gap. She told me that she had a similar experience or dream where she met my, my, our shared grandfather, which is my father's father. And he looked the same. He was like in a green shirt and he had this hair um, style that I was describing, and, but he talked to her and I thought that was kind of crazy. Um, and I guess my aunt has had a similar experience of her dad. Not, not a lot on my mom's side, though. That's crazy. Um, you mentioned the ring originally. So, like, let's, which, which one is that associated with? Yeah, my, my grandfather Raymond. So my mom's dad, who we were just talking about. I remember seeing the ring in the photo, and, like, I think that's what solidified it because... It was like the face, the knowing, the feeling. And I was like, I remember staring at that ring while my grandpa was talking to me. I think I just like fixated on the ring during the whole like ordeal. Um, I remember seeing the photo. He was holding it, my mom on his lap in a way where you could just see like on his like one hand, just like one silver band. And my Grammy never wore her silver band, but eventually she showed it to me. And I actually wear it as my wedding band now. And I was like really close with my Grammy. And when my Grammy went into the nursing home recently, when I was in college, my mom gave me her wedding band. And apparently it's the same exact ring. And when I got it, I like felt the same feeling I felt like when I saw those photographs. Um, just like something felt like eerily familiar, yet like something was like weirdly off, but not in a bad way. Just like, a, I don't know, like the hair stand up on the back of your neck and your stomach does a flip and you know that like maybe something cosmically is going on. Growing up, it was, I was never told that either of my grandfathers were dead. It was more so I assumed it or just like didn't think about it on my dad's side because I never met a grandfather on that side. And as far as I know, uh, Papa, who was the one who passed away when I was in kindergarten, he was the only grandfather I had. And I believed, I think, in the naive kid way where I'm like, oh, you're like, you and my Grammy are together. So that means you're my mom's dad. You know, like the little kid rationalization of it. So... Yeah, I, I had never seen a photo of those men before in my life. My parents don't really put photos up in the house. That's crazy. You only talked about, like, what your mom made sense of. Um, like, how do you look at it? Like, what does this mean to you now? Um, and, like, how do you... Um, I've been going back and forth for a while about how I make sense of it. I think now I firmly believe that, like, if my, pop, my papa was there that night, and I think that I saw some kind of like visitation of sorts. I don't know, like I, growing up in the church, I'm just, I, I, I do believe that there is like a different plane, I guess, out there, whether it be like some kind of purgatory or heaven or astral plane. Um, and I, I think I was like visited by my grandfathers, um, especially being older and talking about it a bit more with other family members. I think it's, I, I don't have to rationalize it as much anymore. Um, like I think I had mentioned before, my little cousin had an exact same experience, but with our mutual uh, paternal grandfather. It's my dad's dad. She said that she didn't feel like she was dreaming and she actually talked to him in whatever way and then I can't remember if she had told me if she had no if she knew it was him in the moment or not but she was like incredibly confident and like was like crying and like was like I just get really emotional when I talk about this we were all on a family vacation this last week and we were sharing experiences that you know 
my cousin Anna's like, I feel like I'm a clairvoyant or something, or like we have these like clairvoyant-esque, like, um, you know, meetings with like lost family members. Did you like look at this as a paranormal experience? Like, I, I don't know. I hate to like try to put words in <laughs> people's mouths, but like I get yeah. the sense that like you were so young that I mean, I remember being that age, and like no matter how weird something is, you're used. Everything's weird when you're a kid. So like, were, were you just always thinking like, oh, I mean, I met like Grandpa came over before he died. Like, I uh, I think it's definitely like that weird, just like neutral feeling when you're a kid, and like life is already so goddamn weird. And to, but then when I got to the age I was when I was like nine or ten or whenever when I was doing that project and I saw the pictures, that's when I started like I wasn't scared, but I started feeling like did I encounter something that's outside of this realm? You know, like did I was I able to communicate with people who have passed on? Um, and I definitely like consider it, I guess, more in like the air of like a clairvoyance or like a paranormal experience with like past family members. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it is like hard to explain. And I think because I try to rationalize it for so long, I, I constantly do this like weird double back. But I, I think that I definitely experienced a thing where I was talking to people who were not alive and I was there and I was talking to them. All right. I want to thank Ray for telling us that story. It's nice to hear uh, a comforting story on this podcast. You know, I mostly hear, I'm hearing about demons and gnomes and horrible stuff. It's really refreshing to be reminded that there is good stuff out there. And perhaps the people who loved us most are looking out for us. I'll end this episode with a funny anecdote of my own. Like I said, I was over at my grandparents' house a lot when I was a kid. Um, and my grandma, I know everybody says their grandma was a saint. My grandma really was a saint. She put up with a lot in her life. She was very patient. She was a very patient woman and really did no wrong. And she was especially patient with my grandpa, who was sometimes not the nicest man uh, and definitely not the easiest person to live with all of those years. And eventually, near the end of her life, when we all knew that it was getting very close, I was going to visit her quite a bit on my own. I was in my early 20s. I don't really think I knew what you're supposed to say to a person that's almost about to die, but I'm glad I went to go visit her, but I was just kind of, I guess I was saying the stuff that I thought you're supposed to say you know, and she was never much of a jokester her life. She was never one to like crack jokes or be funny, but near the end, like in the final days, she became really funny. And honestly, she became very morbid too. and was cracking a lot of very dark jokes, but one that sticks out that I'll always remember is that I said something to her along the lines of like, grandma, don't worry. One day you and grandpa will be reunited back together again. You know, just like the type of thing you're supposed to say. And before I could finish the sentence, she fully interrupted me and just said something along the lines of, I sure as hell hope not. I don't want to see him again. Like, she also said something like, Jackie, we're not going to the same place. He's not going to the same place as me. And I'll never forget those conversations I had with her. I don't remember if I was cracking up or if I was trying not to, but either way, if my grandparents are watching over me and if she has any control over the matter, I'm pretty sure it's separate. I think they're going to be watching over separately wherever they are. Um, and with that, it brings us to the end of this episode of Otherworld. Thank you so much to Seth, Kendra, and Ray for telling us those stories. I hope you all enjoyed them. This has been episode 12 the title is Caretakers, and you've been listening to Otherworld. Otherworld is executive produced and hosted by myself, Jack Wagner. Our theme song is by Cobra Man. The soundtrack of this episode is by North Americans. 
This episode was edited by Matt Krautstrunk. Additional editing and engineering by Theo Schaefer. The artwork for our show is by Cul-de-Sac Studios. Once again, this is an independent show, so please show us your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends. Seriously, actually do that stuff, by the way. Please do it. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at OtherworldPod on Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you or somebody you know have experienced something paranormal, supernatural, or unexplained, you could send us your story at stories at otherworldpod.com.